invite you guys to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're back to Philippians this week. I'll be looking at the first four verses. So uh, Bill Warner asked me before the service today, is it easier or harder to preach a short passage or a longer passage? I don't know. We're going to find out. So uh, really, a really a great uh, passage here before us, one that you have probably heard and maybe even memorized at some point in your life, but just a really great encouragement from Paul. Uh, before we get there, while you're turning, uh, I have always been fascinated by World War II. I, I love to watch movies about World War II, documentaries about World War II. It just, it's intriguing to me to understand uh, the life of the men uh, from all the different countries that found themselves fighting in this war. And so recently I was watching a documentary on Netflix about World War II and specifically the Battle of the Bulge, uh, something you've probably heard of. There's the uh, famous... TV series, The Band of Brothers, that uh, chronicles part of that uh, great battle that's gone down in history. And, you know, the interesting thing in, in watching this documentary and learning more about it is it, it was, this happened at the end of 1944, going into 1945, and the German troops were just at, at a loss. They were getting beat everywhere they could. They were uh, running out of men, running out of uh, resources, and so Hitler had decided, you know what, we need to throw one big punch that is going to influence all the allied uh, forces to just seek peace instead of continuing on this war because we've got nothing left to go with. And so he devised this whole plan uh, to go and divide the allied troops by uh, sprinting to uh, this uh, supply chain and cutting people off. And this was his great plan to essentially bring an end to this war. And so it created this Battle of the Bulge, uh, as we remember it, because he great, made a great advance into the, the Allied lines. And so uh, Dwight Eisenhower was the commanding uh, officer for our troops over there at that time, and he saw this thing happening, and he decided, you know what, uh, what we need to do is we need to cut off these uh, German troops that have come in. And, and part of the reason that Hitler's plan had worked in the first place was there was really, really bad weather, and then what happened is it cleared up, kind of like we're experiencing uh, even now, the, the clouds had parted and they were able to get planes in the air and the Allied troops were able to go behind the German lines and actually cut off this uh, force that had moved forward. Now you had this little bubble of uh, German troops that were completely cut off and surrounded by the Allies. And um, Anyways, this whole thing has, has kind of gone down in history as this great battle and it's intriguing that both sides saw the reason that it would be successful is because you have to cut off the supply chains, the chains for reinforcements, all the, the fuel, ammo, everything, and that is going to help us uh, defeat the enemy. And Paul is going to encourage us this morning in Philippians uh, chapter 2 to stand unified. That Listen, like we talked about a couple weeks ago when Cisco was here, being together as Christians, uh, being arm in arm is better than being separate. And so he encourages us on, again today to stand in unity with one another, to be uh, unified in Christ, because it's better for us as Christians to be together, to be standing together, to be thinking together, to be believing together, to be loving together, to be doing life together, than to be doing it separately and on our own. So let's look at now, what Paul writes in this uh, first chapter, or the second chapter of Philippians here, uh, that we're going to look at this morning. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's, uh, let's pray before we dive a little bit more into this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for the encouragement of Paul. As he's in prison, he writes these encouraging words, seeking uh, the betterment of his fellow Christians in uh, such a time as they were. And even today, we get to benefit from it. We get to be encouraged. We get to be spurred on. So, Lord, we praise you that uh, you continue to work and change lives and bring your people together through the uh, ministry of your gospel, the ministry of your word. And, Lord, this morning, I pray that uh, it would continue to do just that, that uh, we would be unified as a church, as a congregation, as brothers and sisters in Christ in a deeper way as we continue to learn and just uh, see the heart of Paul in your heart, Lord, that we stand together, that life is better to be together than it is to be separate. So, Lord, bless this time, lead us and guide us, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if I remember anything from the teaching or my education and being taught how to study the scriptures, it came when I was a sophomore in high school at Aurora Christian, and there was a man named Don Davidson who taught a Bible class for boys at the time, and uh, what we did, we studied the book of 1 Corinthians, and I remember this, I always remember it, and it's not just him that says it, but if there is a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for, right? You've heard it too, it's, a, it's an important thing, and our passage this morning starts out by saying so, or you could also translate so as therefore, therefore if there is any encouragement in Christ, and so in order to take a jump start and accurately understand the verses that are put before us today, so we need to look back at uh, what we've talked about and understand the context that we're coming in on. Paul is writing this and saying, if you're going to have any encouragement in Christ, if you're going to stand together, do it in light of the fact that you're living your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. You see that back in chapter 1, verse 27. And then as you go through those final verses that Cisco preached on not long ago, um, we see that Paul's heart is that uh, they stand firm even though they're being opposed by the gospel of Jesus, or to, opposed by their opponents who are against the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're facing this opposition. He's saying, listen, in this opposition, you need to stand together and link arms, be together in this whole work. So now if you have any encouragement in Christ, now if you have any participation, any comfort from love, stand together again. He's making this a huge point in what he's talking about. So as we embark on this study and we look at uh, the outline that we've got for this morning that we're going to work through, we need to look at it in light of spiritual opposition. In light of spiritual opposition, Paul teaches us to strive for unity by outlining first, first the fuel for unity, the fuel for unity. We start out in the first uh, verse here. And he says, so if, and our English translations would say it this way, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, but in the Greek translations, Paul's saying, if there's an encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy. It, and when he's talking of these ifs, we think of the, the possibility of them existing. If there's an uh, encouragement in Christ, as if, well, maybe you have encouragement in Christ, maybe you don't, but that's not how Paul's using this. It would be as if I were to stand here and say, if you are an American, understanding that, that we are Americans, we are American citizens, we, this is a true statement of us, and that's what Paul is saying. 
He, essentially what his heart is, is he's saying, listen, since you have an encouragement in Christ, because you are a believer, you are born again, you are a child of God, these four statements are true of you. Since these are true of you, we, we break this down. So you could translate it, since you have an encouragement of Christ. And what Paul's saying here is uh, remembering that the Philippians are suffering for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the ministry of the gospel. The encouragement that they would have in Jesus is not that uh, they are suffering alone, but that their Savior, whom they love, whom they worship, whom they follow, has suffered as they are and to an even greater extent. Christ has first set the example of how to suffer well. And so Paul encourages them and saying, listen, you have this encouragement in Christ that he has uh, gone through the sufferings that you're going through. He has conquered the world. You can stand up underneath that since you have this encouragement in Christ. He goes on, since you have this comfort from love. And when he talks about this comfort from love, I, it, the picture of it would now... Think of when your kids were really little, and they got really upset about something. And it's almost as if you had a father who'd get down on his, his knees and, and grab his kid right in front of him and fixes the jacket a little bit and is, is talking to him quietly. It's going to be okay. Like, I know this is rough, but you're going to make it. It's, it's okay. This is not the end. You know, continue on. This, this tender, compassionate speaking. And that's what Paul is saying as believers— we have received this blessing from God, this tenderness of love, this, this soft, compassionate care from our Father. Since you have received this, we're going to stand in unity. And then he says, since you have a participation in the Spirit, the Spirit is always with us as believers. Every single one of us has been given the gift of the Spirit. And we participate then in the ministry of the Spirit. And Paul is saying, as the Spirit works in you, he's working in your brothers and sisters in Christ all around you. And because of this, we are unified in this Spirit. We participate together in the Spirit of God. Since you have this participation, this is a true and accurate statement of who you are and what you have been given by God. Let's stand in unity. Complete my joy. Since you have affection and sympathy, the, the experience that as believers we have of the, the great depths of God's love. You see it in, in the passion of the Christ that, that Jesus would go to the cross out of love for us. And in our understanding, our experiencing of God's love, Paul's saying, listen, you have all experienced the gifts of God. Complete my joy. Complete my joy. It's as he talks about these things, what Paul is outlining is he's starting in the heart and he's saying this is the fuel that is going to drive, that is going to power, that is going to motivate your unity in standing together. Like it's it's not the the fuel that is, you know, I like the Cubs and I can only be friends with Cubs fans. You know, he's saying that's not the kind of unity that he's bringing together here. He's saying, listen, the, the fuel that is necessary for Christian unity is the fuel that is uh, outlined by God. Now think about it. How many of you guys, does anybody drive a diesel vehicle? A couple people, all right? You got a diesel vehicle. Now what would happen if you put unleaded fuel in a diesel vehicle? It does not go well, right? 
Now, I, it's a very bad situation, very costly to fix. Because what it, the reality is, is that engine was designed to operate on diesel fuel. When you put the wrong fuel in, the engine will not function the way it's supposed to. Same as if you put diesel fuel in unleaded. Same as if you try to uh, power my car with electricity. It, it doesn't work. It's not, it wasn't designed to work that way. And God has designed his people and his church to function and stand together in unity. And he's giving us the right and correct fuel that God has designed it to operate on. And it's not our commonalities in terms of our personality. It's not uh, our interests, our hobbies, any of these things. God is saying the fuel that is needed to power and motivate your unity as believers is the blessings and gifts that have come from God. It is our unity in the Spirit, in Christ, that binds us together in an unseparable way. And so Paul is saying, since these things are true of you, since God has given you these blessings, live out of those blessings. God is not coming and saying, hey, if you do A, B, and C, if you live unified, I will go and bless you. God is saying, I have blessed you greatly. Now go and live in unity. Our unity comes from that fuel of what God has already done for us. And so Paul outlines this at the very beginning as he's encouraging these people to stand arm in arm in the midst of their suffering, be unified because remember the blessings that God has given you. Remember the blessings that God has given you, the great gifts that God has given. And then he goes from there and he outlines a formula for our unity. And there, the, there's a connection that Paul brings between the fuel and the formula. And the, he says if there's a consolation or encouragement in Christ... Then he says, well, then be like-minded. If you're together in Christ, be like-minded. If there's a comfort from love, have the same love. If there is a fellowship of the Spirit, be of one accord, literally soul in soul uh, through Christ. If there is any affection in ministry, be of one mind. Paul is tying these, this fuel and this formula together and saying, listen, do you see how the blessings of God live themselves out in the everyday practices and relationships that we experience as believers today. This formula is for us to live together, unified as believers. And so he outlines these things. This is what it looks like to be unified as Christians, to have one mind, literally to, to focus on one goal. You guys ever seen somebody or a, uh, an animal that has just got a one-track mind? Or we got a golden retriever who's just a little over a year old, all right? And uh, at my in-law's house, uh, they have a couple collies, and he is best friends with these collies. So when we're getting ready, if we're going to go in and see them, and we're going to take them with us, we'll say, hey, you want to go see your friends? And the second we say, do you want to go see your friends, he knows that means he's getting in the car, and he's getting to go see these other dogs, and he's going to have a day of playing and mayhem. And he will follow you and sprint to the doors. He has a one-track mind to go see those dogs. Paul is saying here, as Christians, to have one mind, to have a one-track mind together for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God, to work hand-in-hand, hand, to be unified in our purpose. Think for the same things. Let our focus be on the cross of Christ and the ministry that he's called us to, to be unified in this way. And Paul talks about this twice. 
right? Twice in verse 2. Now, complete my joy of being the same mind, and then he wraps it up in the end by being of one mind. And we all know that when the scriptures say something multiple times, it means you should probably pay attention to that. It's an important thing to, to think along the same lines, to be focused and, and do this thing together. And so he says, listen, be unified in your thinking. Then he says to be of one love, to be of one love, to literally to, to share the love of God with one another. And you know what? You know how hard that can be at times? It's a very Christianese thing to talk about sharing God's love for one another. But God's love for you, would think for a second the depths of God's love for you. That despite us turning from him so much, despite us living as enemies of God before he saved us, he loved you so much that he sent his son to the cross. Now that means when you look to that person to your left or right, that you will go to the nth degree to love them and share God's love with them. That even though they may just tick you off sometimes, they might offend you, they might let you down, you are going to love them no matter what, that to share in God's love for one another, to be unified in this love. I think a great picture of this is as we grow closer in our relationship with God, as we spend time with Him, we come to greater understanding, we are sharing that with other people. I always find that for me, some of the greatest things that I can share with others are what God is currently teaching me in life. And you could probably agree with the same thing. As God's teaching you something, you are just, you're excited almost in a sense to share that with somebody else. Man, I just learned this. Can you believe how cool that is? Or I, I came to this deeper understanding of something that I've maybe known all my life, but for some reason right now it just kind of clicked and you, you get excited about that. And you share it with someone and it's an encouragement to them like, oh, you know, maybe they didn't think of it that way or or they get to see God doing a great work in your life, and it's an encouragement, and, and you're sharing in the love of God for one another. And then part of this formula that Paul outlines is that we're to be a full accord, full accord. Now, this is where your cheesy Christian jokes come out, that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to drive a Honda or something like that, because we've got to be of one accord, you know, a big accord, and jam everybody in there, you know, but... Um, but literally, Paul is saying here that the, if you were to translate it, literally is to, to be soul in soul, you know, to the deepest, the depths of who you are, to be united with the people around you in Christ, that you literally have the same heartbeat, in a sense. Your, your hearts beat to the same tune. You, we are working together from the innermost parts of our being, unified in this. That's a tough thing to do. That's a really, really hard thing to do at times. And I, I'm not a music person, so Tom, you might correct me with this. All right? I did a little Googling, but I could be wrong. All right? I've heard that it's impossible to tune two pianos to each other at the same time. Am I right on that? Or it's very, very hard to do? Yes. All right? So uh, what I read is that if you have one of those electronic tuner things, it can be easy when you tune them to something common then they, are, they can be in tune with each other. But if you're trying to tune at the same time with one another, you can't, you can't make that happen. And so I'm going out on a limb here because this is not my field of expertise. But this is the, the heartbeat of what Paul is saying here, is to, to be tuned together to one thing, that it's not, it's not that we tune things to my heartbeat, it's not that we tune things to Tom Schatzberger's heartbeat or to Bill Griffith's heartbeat, and then we've got to be just like them, 
But as we come in tune to the heartbeat and mission and passion of Jesus Christ, and I'm getting closer to the passion of the Christ, you are, and we're all doing this together, then we will be unified in the heart of Jesus with our sole purpose for living here on earth, that we will live in unity with one another. We'll live in unity with one another. It's a, a beautiful picture of doing life together in purpose. Doing life together in purpose. And, and you think back to even, I, I think of the, the soldiers that were maybe battling at the, in, in that battle of the bulge, right? Or throughout the, the wars of history. And their heartbeats are in a sense drawn together for the sake of, of saving the person next to them. To, to stay alive. The same cause of victory that they're working towards. It's, it's the idea of being unified. I cannot do this alone. I have to be hand-in-hand, arm-in-arm, covering other, someone else's back and working together for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul has given us this fuel. That he says this is what is necessary in order for you to live out this unity. You can't do it by your own power, your own will strength. You can't do it by your commonalities. And then he gives this super high standard of this is what unity in the church looks like. And you look at it and you're like, that is nearly unachievable apart from Christ. And so he goes on then at the end and he gives us uh, a function for the unity, a function for the unity. He goes and essentially he's saying, listen, this is what the unity looks like, that you're in verse 2. Verses 3 and 4, he's outlining this is how we do it. This is how it's done. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul speaks of this selfish ambition. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. What is he talking about, this this selfish ambition, the the glory of self? He's going to say, Jeremy, you're not going to go preach on a Sunday morning for selfish ambition that people in the church are going to look at you and say, wow, look at Jeremy, you know, pat him on the back and say, you're such a great guy. If that's my motivation for preaching, I am doing it out of the wrong motivations. You're not serving in the ministries you're serving in, doing anything in life that you're doing for your own glory and recognition. That is doing it out of selfish ambition. But he says, as Christians, to achieve this unity, you're not working for yourself. You are working for the betterment of the group you are working for the sake of others, and you are working to serve Christ that he alone would receive glory. I think of Jesus as teaching in the Sermon on the Mount to let our light so shine before men. Why? So they would see our good works and pat us on the back? No. They would see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Our heartbeat. The glory of God. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. It says do nothing out of conceit. Do nothing out of conceit. What he's talking about here is unfounded confidence. Do nothing out of unfounded confidence. Let me give you a picture of what this looks like. Um, I had a friend when I was in college. And we would, as a floor, we would all participate in intramurals together. And so the flag football intramural came around. We were excited about it. I had a friend who thought he was like the next Cam Newton John Elway, Peyton Manning, greatest quarterback ever, right? And so he's like, I'm going to be the quarterback. I'm like, all right, fine. You 
go. Well, we go out and we have our first game. We get slaughtered. I don't think we completed one pass. We couldn't move the ball. It was frustrating, right? And you're playing for fun. You're going to intramurals. You're playing for fun. And we're getting irritated. We're like, this is not working. This isn't working. So we're like, we talked to him. He's like, no, I, I really, I'm, I'm the guy for the job. I'll be the quarterback. He's like, all right. Week two comes around. We get to play another game. Same old story. Like, this is just not right anymore. This is not okay. So finally, we had a, a conversation where we had to talk to our friend and say, listen, brother, I know you might think you're the next John Elway. And we did have to do this in great love. Great love. And you're not. You're just, you're not. Let's find a different place where, where you may be better suited so that we can all win as a team. Right? Because if we go into this and want to do just what we want to do, because that's where we're going to think we're going to get the most recognition, where we're going to have the most fun, it's going to hurt the team. That is doing things out of selfish ambition. That is doing things out of conceit. When my dear friend, loving the death, believed he was so good at being quarterback, but had nothing to back it up. That is doing out of something out of conceit. Believing that you are the greatest, you have all the skills, the full package, and you've got nothing to back it up. And so when we boil this down to our Christian life, this is a poison at times in the church. That we believe that we have the power and strength and ability to do what God has called us to do on oursel- by ourselves, on our own strength, on our own terms. And to neglect the grace and mercy of God and the participation of the Spirit that we walk in, that He is at work in us, He is bearing fruit in our lives, He is leading, He is guiding, He is equipping, to the point that we could say, listen, the gifts that I have are not of myself, but they are a gift from God. They are a gift from God that we can humbly say, I have a gift in music. I have a gift in leading. I have a gift in uh, caring for people, whatever it may be. Maybe it's teaching. I love to teach kids, and, and God has gifted me in that. To be humble is to recognize I have a gift. I, you can be humble and say God has gifted me in this way, but the humility is to say that I didn't come up with it myself. God has given it to me. God has given it to me. So do nothing out of uh, selfish ambition or conceit. And he goes on and says, this is done by humbling ourselves. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I have to confess, we were talking what, earlier about talking about family, right, in sermons. Well, here, I'm going to do it anyways. Okay? <laughs> I have been blessed with a great marriage with Bree. And we have uh, been able to avoid a lot of conflicts in our marriage. And I believe it to my heart that this is the reason why. She's always looking out for my best. She's willing to put herself second to put me first. And you know what that makes me want to do? Put her first and put myself second. And so there are times where, you know what, you make the sacrifice and you say, all right, you know what, I'm going to let her go do whatever it is that she wants to do, get whatever it is she wants to get, you know, what whatever the situation may be, because she is so gracious and good to me, I want to bless her as well. And you have this relationship of this going back and forth, and it binds you together in a way that you cannot communicate to other people. 
And I believe this is a blessing in your marriages. This is a blessing in the church that if we were to look out for the interests of others, as Paul is saying, before we look after the interests of ourselves, it is amazing at how your interests and your needs are going to be covered. I, most of the time, am not the first person to bring up something that I need in my life. Bree does it. She'll bring it up because she is aware of it and she's looking out for my needs. She is living an example of what this looks like to look after somebody else's needs before their own. I believe this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what this community of believers is supposed to look like. And we live in a culture today that says, look out for yourself first, and then if you've got anything left over, then bless somebody else. Self first, then others. But imagine with me for a second that in a church the size of ours, that we are all looking out for the needs of somebody else. Now, do you know what happens if we are all looking out for somebody else's needs? What is somebody else doing? Looking out for your needs. So we live in this struggle between the world saying, you first, you first, then others, and what God is saying, the deepest unity that he has designed us to live in through the power of his spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ, is that we would look out for one another's needs, encourage, support, help each other before we even look after our own. And the blessing that would be to have somebody caring for you. You ever have someone who just comes up and is like, how are you doing? And like genuinely wants to know, genuinely cares when you explain what's going on in life. And just the encouragement that that is, like, you know, I'm feeling a little bit better now just because someone cared for a minute. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I well, would imagine to, to illustrate this idea in some ways, imagine yourself being in a room. You ever go to one of those rooms where, or a maze, like those mirror mazes, and you have no idea what's what? I love watching videos of people running through those where they're just like, that's the exit dead sprint right into a mirror and you feel bad that you're laughing but you almost can't help it imagine being in a room full of mirrors that's almost what it's like to say let me look after myself I'm going to look at myself first examine my own needs but I think what Paul is saying here what God is encouraging us to do is rather than putting ourselves in a room of mirrors where we're looking after us is that we put ourselves in a room of windows where we're able to see out to the others around us on a continual basis. And you know what is necessary to do this? Is to be rubbing shoulders with other believers. Doing life with somebody. And to do this, we have to be honest and open with each other where our needs are. Where our needs are. Nobody can help me. Nobody can look after my needs if I am not willing and humble enough to vocalize and share what my needs are. If I am too full of pride, be it for whatever reason it is, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, this is a huge struggle for your pastor. I hate asking for help because I do not like to burden people. My problems should not be your problems. And Paul says, no, listen, we need to share each other's burdens. We need to look after each other's needs. And the only way that you're going to be able to look after my needs is if I say something about them and say, listen, I'm struggling here. Could you please be praying for me? Can you help me out? We have to be willing to be a little vulnerable with each other to help share in each other's burdens, to help minister to each other. 
blessing it is when somebody comes and, and ministers to you. And what a blessing it is when you get to go alongside somebody else and be a blessing to them, to minister to them in their times of need. And what it is that they are in desperate need of in that moment, be it big or be it small. Now remember, these Philippian Christians that Paul is writing to, they are being persecuted for their faith. And so imagine that persecution, that pressure that's coming in on you because of your faith, it has a great capacity or power to cause you to become so self-absorbed. What is happening to me right now? And this is the circumstance that Paul is writing and saying, don't look after your own needs. Help your brother. He's going through something. Lend a helping hand. Support each other in this. Support each other in this. And I believe, I believe that Paul's heart here is not coming after these Philippians and being like, you guys are so disunified. You are so divided right now that we have major problems. You need to fix this. I almost get the sense from Paul that it's a little bit more of a precautionary teaching here, saying, listen, I know you're going through these struggles, and these struggles could be harmful for you. So make sure you're standing arm in arm. Make sure you're standing together, because if you're not, that's going to divide your church. If not, it's going to split you guys up. It's going to cause divisions among you. You're going to have arguments with people. You're going to lose sight of what this mission is. And so please, in light of all these oppositions, keep your eyes focused on the cross of Christ. Please stand together in love with one another. Please put the other people first. Humbly submit yourself to other people's needs. This is what it looks like to live life together as Christians. It is a hard and difficult task, but it becomes, a, the, the burden of it is lifted when we do it with the right fuel. And you always have to stop and remember that fuel. Make sure you're using the right stuff to live in unity with other Christians. There's a lot of differences even in this building right now. A lot of difference in interests, a lot of difference in personalities, a lot of difference in hobbies, all these different things. But we can be unified. Not because of those things. Because of the right things. The gospel. The love of God. The sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf. So I want to close with this uh, statement. I think is a good kind of a encompassing idea. It's hard to, how do you summarize four verses in a shorter statement? We're going to try, right? They're already short. But if we were to summarize, I think what Paul's heartbeat here is, it would be this. That because of the blessings that we have received in Christ, we should strive for unity with other believers by humbling, humbly putting others first. Because of the blessings we've received in Christ, we should strive for unity with other believers by humbly putting others first. And this is something that we can live out in our lives every single day. Wherever you go, whatever you are doing, we can carry this calling out to live in unity with one another. It's tough, but it's a beautiful picture. And I believe that when as Christians we carry out this calling, and we live in this kind of unity that Paul's speaking of, that God designed us to live in, I do believe that that is an attractive thing for the world to see. But the sad thing is, is so often in the church, we have become so divided so easily. We have so many arguments amongst ourselves that why would the world look in on the church and say, that is something I want to be part of. But I can tell you, if we were looking out for each other and caring for one another, living in this unity, putting each other first, I bet that would be an attractive thing to see. What is it about those people? How can they do that? They're so different. We'll find out. Let's 
instructions we've received in Christ, we should strive for unity with other believers by humbly putting others first.